the Gaggle podcast where we bring you inside the newsroom to talk Arizona politics beyond what's in print. I'm Michael Squires, the politics editor at the Arizona Republic and AZ Central. Joining me at our Arizona Capitol Bureau this week are Dustin Gardner. I cover the state legislature. Agnel Phillip. I'm a data reporter. And I'm Ihan Jung. I'm the Scottsdale Watchdog reporter. This week on The Gaggle, the AG wants answers on Scottsdale School District's construction contracts. And registering your vehicle might get more expensive. But we start with a look at the state's charter schools in light of the recent closure of a Goodyear charter school. Agnel, you crunched the numbers and found dozens of other schools could face a similar fate. So what, what were the metrics or what were the measures that we're using to, to see if these schools are in trouble or not? So the, the dozens number comes from basically whether or not the auditors for these school operators thought that the school or the operator could close within a year. So that was kind of the top level finding. And there were 40 schools that had operators that had this designation in the 16, 17 school year. So beyond that, um, other measures that parents, if they want to look up their school's financial performance can look at, uh, include basically how much cash reserves they have, uh, how their financial obligations compare to their income, whether the operator turned a profit or loss, and how the cash flow has changed over three years. Did you see any pattern on where the schools are located or they just kind of spread throughout the valley or the state? It's hard to tell in a lot of ways because you've kind of got these two different types of charter schools. You have the charter holders and operators that are only associated with one school. And you can think of these as like small kind of schools that are individual operations. And then you have schools uh, like like Basis or EdKey that have multiple operators, even though... And they each submit different financial reports, even though they're all kind of owned by the same company and they're part of a network. So it's hard to tell. I mean, we could tell just right off the bat if there was a school that only had one operator associated with it that also had some financial warning signs that they were probably uh, doing poorly. And the couple of schools that we called that were like that uh, told us that they were having some problems. So when you're going out and reporting this story, uh, you're talking to a lot, probably a lot of charter school operators, the, the certainly their association. What are they saying in response to this? Are they saying, yeah, there, there are a few kind of operators that have problems. Are they acknowledging them or are they sort of defensive about it? Um, they're defensive about it in the sense that, I mean, and, and in a way it's true that our analysis only covered a one-year snapshot. So if you're doing any sort of deep dive into finances, number one, you're going to want to go deeper than the financial dashboard. And you can do that. There are audits that are on the Charter Board's website that can let you really dive into the school's finances. But Beyond that, I, I mean, if your school has either failed these standards for multiple years or they're failing three or four of the quantifiable standards that I mentioned earlier, then as a parent, you probably would want to look into that. And we didn't receive too much pushback on that from either the Charter Schools Association or the Charter Board. I mean, school finances just across the board are pretty tough in the state. Did you get any sense that, that, that people are interested in there being more transparency or kind of more teeth? And some of the regulation as you're reporting this? I mean, we know when the, the Goodyear School, Discovery Cremos Academy, closed that we had heard from some parents and teachers of, you know, a, a wonder of either why the school was still operating when it was in financial trouble for so long or why they felt like they didn't really know about it, even though these reports were kind of published. They're a little bit buried on the Charter Board's website. Um, but, you know, there's there is a desire, I think, among critics of charter schools, for the, at the very least, to have more oversight of this. But among char the Charter Schools Association and the Charter Board kind of just said, this is the process we have. This is the transparency measures as parents. It's good that we have all this information out there. So what, what is the state's recourse as you look at this? You've, you identify 40 schools that, that are sort of in some kind of peril. 
Can the state intervene in any way at this point? Not really. They can't revoke a charter simply for financial performance reasons alone. Um, and you know, the way they describe these reports is it's a framework that's out there. It's a transparency measure. You know, parents can go and look at this and it's basically just the information is there. There's nothing that they can really do to act on it. So Dustin, out at the legislature, um, there's this dynamic that seems to be kind of the dividing line is, you know, the public schools, you have their supporters and funding for them. And then you have sort of the school choice crowd, which tend to be the Republicans and, you know, it's always, it's it tends to be sort of a zero sum game. Like if, if it's, something's going to be good for the publics, it's going to hurt the school choice crowd and vice versa. Do you see any sort of effort to increase oversight of charter schools? I mean, that seems unlikely given that the legislature is under Republican control. But I'm just wondering when a story like this comes out, if there's any conversation like that. Yeah, I mean, the short, the short answer obviously is no. I don't think there is much significant effort to increase oversight of charter schools. But it's interesting. There was a pretty intense debate um, this week, actually, um, about an amendment to a bill deal, dealing with letter grades for schools. Um, Senator Sylvia Allen has a, a bill to overhaul that. And a Democrat had proposed an amendment that would, it would have included an increased oversight of charters as part of that. And Republicans were very opposed to that. So I think it'll be interesting as, you know, your story gets attention to see if this is brought into that debate. And I think that that kind of speaks to, it's it, it's a philosophical argument in a way for why you can't, the state can't really do anything with these financial reports. I mean, these charter schools are private entities that in theory should be subject to market forces in whatever kind of philosophical way you look at it. Um, and so the idea of a charter school closing for financial reasons is almost can be like a natural part of the charter school business cycle in, in a way. So I, I think that there's kind of a sense that, you know, this is just the churn that kind of happens when you have private enterprise do something. But they would be failing for financial issues, not necessarily like academic. I mean, you could have a really good academic charter school that has a really bad accounting uh, <laughs> department and they're in trouble. And I think... It, you know, from the Democrat perspective, an interesting argument is just just about the effect this has on like students and parents. You know, this these are public schools. This is public money that is paying for these schools. And when they fail, the people that are disappointed are students and you know and parents. And so I think Democrats will keep pushing that argument. Yeah, and I th I mean, you know, I, I get that they're saying the transparency and the market forces will take care of these problems. But like my youngest goes to a a charter school, and I don't know first thing about the finances at that's I've, I've never looked at the website you know I, I know what his teacher is who his teacher is I know you know I like what he's being taught there and, and things like that but like I don't get into the back office I guess is what I'm saying and it, it seems like kind of an odd sort of way to to address that part of it is just say hey you, you know like who would think to go check out the finances I mean did you find parents who did that who were doing that I mean because out in Goodyear I think everybody was just kind of gobsmacked when the thing shut down it honestly, it didn't seem like something that a lot of people knew about. And that, whether that's by design or not, I, I, I don't know. But it, it does take a, quite a few steps to get to that information on the Charter Board's website. And you have to know to look for it and all these other things. Um, thankfully, hopefully with our story, you know, you can, we have a database lookup. You can look up your school and it's a little easier to do it from there. But yeah, I mean, this is not something that's on the top of people's minds until a school closure like Discovery happens, where it just closes in the middle of the year and suddenly you have all these students that need to find another place to go to school. 
keep talking about money here. Dustin, it looks like lawmakers are seriously considering raising the amount charged when you register your vehicle with the state. What's what, what do they need the money for? What are they saying about that? The money would allow the state to start putting more more funds into road repairs again. Um, technically, the money would go to pay for highway patrol through the Department of Public Safety. The, um, the state has been sweeping funds that are meant for road repairs to pay for DPS operations for many years. This has been going on for at least a decade. And according to the League of Cities and Towns, uh, at least $1.1 billion has been swept so far. And uh, what is your sense? Is is there much support for this? So, so the... The bill to do this passed the House um, through a coalition of Democrats and Republicans had faced some pretty fervent opposition from conservative Republicans who, you know, view it as a tax increase. Um, It now has to get through the Senate and that it faces its own pretty rocky road there. Um, And that's because a lot of conservative Republicans feel like this sort of a tax increase should go through the typical two thirds vote in both chambers of the legislature to get passed. The bill does not require that because it is a fee increase that the director of ADOT would determine every year. And similar to the Medicaid controversy that wound up in court, that allows the legislature to sidestep the two thirds majority vote. So I think Republicans are very skeptical about that piece of it. And we'll see if um, Senate President Steve Yarbrough even assigns it to a committee. Last I checked, it hadn't been assigned. And from there, we'll see if it gets gets any hearings. Yeah, it's sort of this uh, kind of weird dance that now is necessary because no one can actually sign on to a tax increase. They have to kind of go these alternate routes. What, what is the governor's office saying? Or are they even commenting? I know they always say we're not commenting on, uh, you know, pending legislation until it you know, lands on governor's desk. But do you get any sense of whether he would sign this? Yeah, so, I, you know, I asked the governor's office and we got the typical, you know, response of he doesn't comment on legislation unless it's on his desk. Um, so it, it, we don't know at this point, but the governor is, you know, a pretty adamant opponent of tax increases. And I'm not sure how, how he would feel about the idea of passing a 17 to $20 new registration fee on every driver in the state. Is there, does, does anyone say that the, the, the right way to do this would be to raise the gas tax? That's an interesting question. Uh, some of the folks I talked to said that the, part of the problem is that the state ga- gas tax has been, you know, has been the same rate since 1991. Vehicles have gotten more efficient. Um, and the vehicles are still putting the same wear and tear on the road. So inherently, this, the state has a long-term issue of finding a replacement for the gas tax. Um, but no one's taking that up. I mean, I think politically, lawmakers feel like it would just be uh, you know, dead-on-arrival issue to try to raise the gas tax. Um, so they're going about it this free increase route. Um, but whether that will be any more successful, it's kind of up in the air at this point. But it seems like it has a pretty tough uphill road to get there. And I think the public probably deserves a little blame in this as well because they complain about roads not being in good condition and yet they you know they would raise hell if if they raised the gas tax and like you point out it's what that buys is only eroded over the last you know 3 decades or whatever since 1991 I mean there weren't really many electric cars back in 1991 and those guys aren't paying gas tax so you see the state just you know gradually able to less buy less and less pavement, so to speak. Right. And I should note that part of the bill, um, the, the, the piece that's gotten less attention would remove part of the tax um, break for, for our alternative fuel vehicles. That would increase some revenue to the state. Um, but, you know, by and large, I mean, these vehicles still aren't paying nearly as much taxes as they used to in the past for, for use of the roads. 
Um, and you know, looking at this long term, cities and counties and towns, they, they're you know, like I said, they're out over a billion dollars so far, and that's just to date. They, you know, looking out long term, there's you know, at least probably th they're saying about thirty billion dollars that the rural communities in the states are going to need for highway repairs in the next several decades, and they have no idea where that's going to come from. And lawmakers from there tend to be Republican. Correct. Is that where is that where sort of the Republican piece of this coalition comes from? Yeah, that's the interesting piece of this. Some of the Republican supporters, the sponsor is Representative Noel Campbell from um, Prescott, a Republican. The you know a lot of these guys are typically conservative folks, or a lot of these lawmakers are typically conservative, and because their communities have been hit so hard by this funding sweep, they are open to this idea of increasing a registration fee so crumbling roads can start getting repaired. Han, you have been uh, digging and digging and digging into the Scottsdale Unified School District's uh, construction of schools and, I guess, renovation of schools and how the money gets spent. Um, catch us up. Give us kind of a summary of what you found over the past months and, and what's going on now. Well, I can probably sit in here with you guys and talk all day about what's going on in Scottsdale, but I'll give you the, uh, the cliff notes for what's going on. Um, the school district's been under probe by the AG's office and by an attorney that they've hired for an internal review uh, since November. And they've been slowly you know, releasing the results of that. And Susan Siegel, who is the attorney hired by the district to conduct the review, has reported that the former CFO for the school district, Laura Smith, was okaying payments to her former company, uh, PGPC, which is a consulting company that does work for the district. And the problem there is that, you know, she resigned during all of this investigation, and she said that she might have accidentally, you know, signed off on two payments, but she didn't realize, like, where they were going to. And the Republic, you know, requested some records to kind of see which documents she did actually sign off on, and we found out she okayed nine payments to the company. And we're talking real money here. And the problem there is that, according to Susan Siegel, she still has substantial interest in this company, and her, her sister is the managing director of this company. So if you put a check in front of me, I'll, I'll sign it. I will, I will just not even look at it. Okay, well, let me remind me to do that after we talk about this issue. So wh what is the reaction to something like that? Because that is uh, a pretty damning revelation, as you've said. She stepped away. Is this where they're kind of looking at the potential for criminal prosecution? Well, the AG's office is pursuing both a criminal and a civil case. So we haven't been told anything regarding a criminal case. So all we can do, you know, is speculate there, but we won't. You know, the civil case, though, uh, does call out the two school pr um, construction projects at Hocom and Cheyenne Elementary Schools. And again, this is a $220, uh, $220 million bond issue that passed two years ago to renovate about eight school, um, eight elementary schools within the district. But these two specifically, uh, the AG's office found um, or alleges that, you know, they violated state procurement laws. And that's because they're saying the lead architect who is heading the committee to select a construction company for these projects had a prior conversation to the assessment of the companies and told, you know, at least one member on the committee how to rank which construction company would get which project. And not only is that a violation, but also the lead architect, who is Brian Rocho, was not a licensed architect, though he said he was. And so that's, again, another you know, violation of the procurement laws. 
So right now, you know, those two cases have been, those two projects have been halted, but the issue there is that the Cheyenne project is about 85% of the way done. And we're not talking, you know, pouring cement here. We're talking finishings, painting, you know, wrapping up the project. So the AG's office and the school district made an agreement to kind of form a second committee, you know, of all members who were no, who weren't priorly connected to the company or to the project. And they're going to see if they would award the construction company, Chase Building Company, who's working on it now, that project themselves. If so, then they'll complete the project. If not, then they'll have to kind of come together, discuss what move, um, what happens next. Ihan, I'm curious about the process that um, districts go through to get voters to approve these bond questions. I think the Arizona Center for Investigative Reporting had a big report um, last year about sort of the outsized influence that architects or contractors play in the elections to determine these bond questions. Is any skepticism being brought to that because of the situation? I think so. I think a lot of parents, I mean, again, a lot of this has been brought to the media's attention and, you know, state investigators' attention because of the parents who've been concerned about the way the district are spending their funds, which is, you know, a, a big difference from what Agnel was saying about the charter school spending. And so I think a lot of parents and a lot of residents um, have, you know, raised questions to whether district ties with certain companies are a bit too close for comfort and whether some companies are, you know, being handed bond issues with, you know, things going on in the background. So I know that is a concern among a lot of residents. I mean, what, what would be the process at the stake if you could give kind of a comparison? Like, if you're trying to get a similar, if you were trying to build a school for the state of Arizona. I mean, I don't think there would be a meeting where they'd talk about ranking it ahead of time. It'd be more of a kind of regimented process, maybe even a blind process, right? Yeah, I mean, state procurement issues, um, the Department of Administration manages that for, you know, for a lot of state agencies. And it is, yeah, it's supposed to be a fairly blind process. And it's not like people are having those sort of meetings and the get, you know, at least they're not supposed to be having those sort of meetings where they would express the preference of, of uh, towards certain bidders from the get-go. Is there talk of revamping that? There is talks of the district, you know, having a little more oversight in the procurement practices that they have. Um, I think... The, the the lesson out of all this is that a lot of school districts are, you know, continuing or doing construction work with with little oversight. And I think the Scottsdale School District has been told by now the AG's office and the attorney that they've hired that they've got to change their procurement policies, that they got to at least audit the policies and really work not only on procurement, but also with conflicts of interest within hires and on who's paying off on what payments to certain companies. I'm sure the AG is very reluctant to talk in any detail about what they're looking at, but do you get any sense of whether this investigation is something that's going to go on for a year or if it seems like a matter of months? It's always hard to tell the timeline for the AG's office, um, but I think they've been moving pretty swiftly, at least regarding the civil case. I mean, again, they didn't announce that they were investigating the school district until December, and it's only been about two months, and they've already come out with a civil lawsuit. So as for the criminal case, I can't speak to that, but I don't think we'll be entirely surprised at any new characters that are going to be joining this. I think a lot of it is going to be related to some of the things that we have reported recently. So for our final segment, we're going to keep with this theme of transparency. I'm going to ask what public records you've requested but are still waiting for. Well, during all the mess that's going on at the Scottsdale School District, uh, they've named Dr. Amy Fuller as the acting superintendent. So I got some records out to Florence School District in which she was a 
superintendent for just a short little stint that kind of has me raising some questions. So just kind of seeing what she did there and why she resigned so abruptly. Agna? So I've been looking into workplace fatalities in, in the state of Arizona and uh, been at first going through some of the reports on on investigations into these that um, the Department of Occupational Self, uh, Health and Safety in the state does. Uh, but I noticed that the total for that is much lower than the reported total of uh, workplace Safe, uh, workplace deaths in the state. So I put out another request to the Industrial Commission, which oversees um, ADOSH, and I'm looking to get a full list of all the workplace fatalities and a little bit of information about that. Put that in a couple of weeks ago. Hopefully that comes in pretty soon. Dustin? I am still trying to get the full weekly calendars of House Speaker J.D. Mesnard and Senate President Steve Yarbrough. Um, I've requested the calendars of several people at the Capitol. Most of them have coughed those up, but those two have not. Attorneys for them are maintaining that they can withhold and redact some meetings with lobbyists and lawmakers about pending about pending legislation. And they're claiming there's some sort of legislative privilege they have over those meetings. And I think we would argue that um, you know while they, they don't have to tell us the content of their meeting beforehand, or they don't have to tell us what they're planning to discuss beforehand, the mere fact that a meeting occurs and the who, what, when, where details are certainly a public record from our standpoint. Oh man, there'd be so much fun you could have with those records. That's it for today. Thank you for listening to the Gaggle Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at MG Squires. I'm at Dustin Gardner and that's Gardner with an I-G-A-R-D-I-N-E-R at agnel88 underscore philip and i'm at uh at yihan underscore zhang it's exactly how it sounds like you would spell it thanks to the politics team and to our producer Haley sanchez please subscribe to the show and review it on apple Podcasts, soundcloud stitcher or google play we'll see you next week